again, I was so shocked by how well you were able to edit out some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wizard. I can say anything, dude. I know. <laughs> you could just, just ex- bear, bear your heart, Vinny. Bear it right now. Say what's on your mind. Um, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a rice guy, dude. I don't like noodles as much. I think there's only two types of people in this world. You either really like noodles or you really like rice. Holy shit. And the same thing is I also think you either really like Asian food or you either really like Mexican food because of the cheese element. Now, I know I, I know Koreans and their mozzarella and how they throw it on some stuff. It's very surprising. Also, a very beautiful blend. But in my mind, I don't get as excited or know that do I really even seek out Mexican food as much as I seek Asian food out. And I find that people that like Mexican food don't do the same. Like... They lump Asian food into one category too. They don't. They don't. They're crazy about it. What about you? Where do you stand? Wait. Let's backtrack. All right. So <laughs> rice noodles. Uh, you said yeah, rice noodles. Okay. So you're saying you're either a rice guy or you're a noodle guy. Yeah. You err towards one side. You can't like equally love both. Like you either can like go go wild on noodles or like you can just munch on a bowl of rice. Well, I mean, that's, that can be said of any two things, right? Like, no one's ever going to be perfectly split down the middle. No, no, you're things. never going to just, like, well, I hate to be so extreme because I feel like this is never, really like, a realistic thing. But, like, if I said you can only eat one for, like, the rest of your life, I could easily just tell you that I'd be yeah, fine I mean, I'd, with eating rice the rest of my life. So, you know what's interesting, right? So, my favorite food is jajangmyeon, which is a noodle-based dish. Oh, you love that jajangmyeon, huh? Yeah, but if you were to ask me to pick one for the rest of my life, I'd pick rice. Right, and so, so like, yeah, I think okay. that's pretty much as close to 50-50 as you can get. Right. I, get, I get, uh, uh, well, I mean, but yeah, I guess you can call it 50-50. But I'm saying, like, you just got to choose, man. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have that, that, that sweet, sweet black bean noodle anymore, you know? And for me, like, know. rice is going to be so simple, dude. I could just eat a bowl of white rice with nothing. You know what I mean? I don't have to dress it up. Or if I throw some soy sauce. Or just, like, you know... Qu- whip up a quick egg omelet like I can't do that with noodles yeah you can't just eat a bowl of noodles <laughs> like, think, think about the po- <laughs> well, plus you have to think about like <laughs> gross <laughs> oh no okay we're talking like, about what, it, kind of, like... What, 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 oh no it's like what kind of noodle are we eating it has to be like seeped in some kind of broth or like flavoring but, like <laughs> dude nothing beats like if I think about like home you know and like warmth and stuff I think about a nice bowl of rice man <laughs> and I don't care how Asian that sounds <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking love rice, you know. Unapologetically, I love it. What could you fuck on? LCB, what can you bang on? LCB, don't tell the world what LCB means. Hey, what up, Joe? What's going on, Vinny? Oh, you know, not much, man, but follow me on this train of thought. I know it's been about, what, six years, but closer to maybe coming up around that time of year when the story of this young Asian-American man named Jeremy Lin came onto the NBA scene and shocked the world. Do you remember that time? Oh, I remember very clearly. How could you forget, dude? I remember exactly where I was watching Jeremy Lin take on the Los Angeles Lakers, beating Kobe Bryant's team, running all over Derek Fisher. I don't know, putting up like, what, 38 points? Something ridiculous like that, right? Yeah, I just remember Kobe saying after the game, pretending like he didn't know who Jeremy Lin was. Get out of here. Asking who Jeremy Lin was. And of course, you know, they became teammates later on down the road. But I digress. It, 
I don't know, man. I'm feeling really hopeful. You know, it's starting to feel like 2012 and 2018. What do you mean by that, Vinny? Well, actually, Derrick Rose literally just scored 50 points, so he's back. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. I cannot believe Derrick Rose is back. By the way, for those of you listening, I just lost $50 because Derrick Rose dropping 50 points. So thanks, Derrick, for turning back the clock. Sorry, Joe, but also thank you, Derek, because in a lot of ways I felt personally responsible. I was as being a 76ers fan, and the last time you probably would have thought that uh, Derek Rose would be a good basketball player was in 2012. So anyway, um, the reason why I'm feeling hopeful, man, is just I think it's a good time to be an Asian American in America. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, there's a lot of things in the culture changing right now that makes me feel like there's a big wave of Asian Americans making changes, making a big difference, making their voices heard. Uh, these days and so I'm pretty happy about that yeah oh dude I'm elated so I can't wait for us to kind of dive in and start talking about our lives so I guess this is a good segue into introducing what we're doing here so I'd like to introduce our listeners to the two Asians podcast the tap Uh, here we're going to be talking about generally anything related to the Asian American experience in the 21st century and so Vinny and I started this podcast because we've been lifelong friends and we figured that the conversations that we had with each other are worth sharing with everyone else. Oh, yeah, most definitely, man. And I think, you know, with the little segment we just talked about sports there, um, you know, we're just going to be talking about our everyday lives. Um, and maybe this is the shared history that we've had. Uh, one of the biggest, I think, things that we have in common are, is just our love for sports, our love for basketball. Um, and you know, going back to when Joe and I went to school together, the days on the playground that we spent the summers all those times we just spent playing basketball right talking basketball watching the nba um we both have our own personal stories to share and it goes beyond just maybe the way we talk about the sport in a fun way we like to kind of talk a little bit more about maybe our own experiences as you know asians trying to just play basketball in a different environment right beyond something that we're comfortable with not just people that we consider our peers maybe not like beyond at church we're talking about just pick up at a, a random gym or on some random basketball court. Uh, so, yeah, Joe, I mean, you can just tell us a little bit more about that and, and you know, share us w- your story. Yeah, I think when you and I start, when you and I were playing together, to say that what I was doing was playing basketball was a bit of an overstatement. I was <laughs> frankly terrible. I, at the time, did not know how to dribble the ball. I think every time I touched the ball, I either panicked and threw it at the basket or tried to pass it away to an open teammate as fast as I could. Um, I, I'm happy to say I've think I've come a long way since then. I've since learned how to play basketball. Uh, Not great, but I've learned how to play. And it's interesting just coming from that time to where I am now. So after Vinny and I, we knew each other in middle school and we played pickup ball in middle school. Uh, I never played again in high school and I didn't actually start playing basketball consistently until college, maybe about my junior year, where I learned how to read, when I learned how to not read, where I learned how to play (laughs) basketball by reading a book. Uh, shout out to Sports Illustrated's how, Why a Curveball Curves and the Amazing Science of Sports, which sounds incredibly nerdy for me to say that I learned how to play basketball from reading a book, but honestly, that's the truth. And so I started, I learned how to shoot a ball, and then I brought it onto the court, started shooting that way, and then I think I have a fairly decent jumper. I'm sure Vinny would disagree, but 
I'd like to say it's a pretty decent jumper. Uh, let me interrupt to say that Joe did take me by surprise. It's been a while. I think I remember the days when we were playing back in middle school, and I was like, this guy's straight trash. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to handle because he came down to, to well, while we were in college, came down to play, and all of a sudden he's like doing like step backs, f- fadeaway jumpers on me. I mean, utilizing his height, he probably has like what, like good four to five inches on me, I, I, I think. Yeah, I don't take advantage of it enough, which is a big gripe that people have when I do play basketball. Because uh, I'm six foot two, and so, you know, in a pickup game, that's pretty much like being a center. You know, compared to the average person, I'm still very tall. A giant among Asians. <laughs> Some might say, uh, pre-2012, that I was comparable to Yao Ming, <laughs> which is a comment that I got a lot back in the day. Shout out to Yao Ming. Yeah, shout out to Yao Ming. Thank you. Come on the pod. Yeah, please, come on the pod. But, um... Yeah, so when I started playing pickup basketball, I noticed a lot of things. Not that I sucked, which I did, but the things that I noticed the most were the way I was treated by other people, right? Because when you step onto a basketball court, no one knows how good you are until you start playing, right? But then I feel I always felt like that there was a slight disposition that people had towards me when I was playing. And so I would naturally just get picked last for pickup basketball, even though I was tall. And then once I was playing... I realized quickly that I only had one opportunity. I would literally get one shot to prove my worth to the team. And so if you miss that shot, they will never pass you the ball again. And so I quickly learned that there is not a very high level of, what do you say? How do you call it? Tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To give tolerance. There is almost no tolerance for failure for me, as opposed to, you know, other white players or black players. And so I think there was an, a general assumption that some of these guys were better than me, right? And even now, now that I'm better at basketball, now that I know how to play the game, and since that time, I've gotten a lot bigger. I've started working out, and then I'd like to say that my frame has filled out a bit, and that I look more muscular, and that I look more like a basketball player. And I now, the interesting thing is that I feel like that affords me one more shot. And so now I have maybe two opportunities to prove myself on a pickup game which is super interesting to me because I just like to notice these dynamics. And then oftentimes, you know, unfairly sometimes is that the assumption that a black player will be really good. And so that's another interesting angle to take at it. But me as an Asian American guy, I always felt like I was judged poorly and more harshly by the fact that I was, you know, Asian and didn't look the part of a basketball player. I don't know. Uh, What do you think about that, Vinny? Well, dude, I, I, I'm here just listening to you talk about all those things and nodding my head, I think, a lot because I feel like I've gone through very similar experiences. Uh, what you mentioned about um, getting picked last uh, in a lineup, I'll tell you, like, from people that actually didn't maybe see me play or had experience of knowing what my game was, that's exactly what that was like. You'd walk on the court, they'd see the Asian guy, and they'd automatically assume that this guy is straight trash. Or if, again... You happen to have that one bad shot to start the game you're never going to see the ball again and you're just going to end up playing defense the entire time with your hands on your hips during offense just walking up and down the court right yep. um that, that happened way too often um and something i think about too is, is the idea of what people expect or like who they expect to be good um when it comes to pickup and you have to understand like since basketball is a game there were you know, you have the, the hoop, you have the ball. These things happen so frequently that I think, yeah, people come predisposed to these ideas already. Uh, it's not like they see it in movies or, again, what they even see the product on the court via the NBA or however they're kind of taking in basketball could be college. Um, but I was just thinking about the idea of how, you know, movies like White Man Can't Jump are made. Uh, you have 
guys like Woody Harrelson coming in, he's like, oh, a super. He's being portrayed like it's like a super nerd that has no skills coming in all of a sudden, you know, hustling people out of money. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think we necessarily see that kind of like archetype of like, oh, you know, a not traditionally a good basketball player as that Asian guy, but people already just kind of have that idea without maybe consciously thinking about it. So, why is that? I'm, I'm sure we're kind of probably going to delve into it later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, just if I could backtrack a little bit more, talk about my own experience as a basketball player. Uh, Joe mentioned how he might have learned the game. Me, I, I saw my brothers. They, they started playing it first, so I started copying them naturally. Fell into uh, the NBA, watched that a lot growing up. And I ended up actually being a part of a lot of rec leagues. But I'll tell you, that's probably some of the most not disheartening part of my lives, but I think even with the, the sheer amount of experience that I got through playing in those leagues, I always felt like I was in some kind of disadvantage or for what Joe described as maybe having a tolerance was much lower than the other players. And so when it came to like big key moments, I was probably usually riding the pine. People could say, hey, Vinny, no, you weren't working hard enough or you didn't have enough skill. And that's, I don't think that necessarily was the case. I was probably the only, maybe one out of three Asian kids in the entire league that was primarily probably white kids. And to, I remember my dad specifically to, like driving me to a different district to play. So not like where exactly it was was already a very um, diverse like community. I think where we went was probably even less diverse. So that was just an interesting choice. But where I think a lot of people might have looked at that and like, hey, you know, you can try to strive and find a way out of that adversity. I really kind of struggled in it. I don't think I quite understood it. No one ever walked up to me and told me, hey, like, you know, you can you can be as good as these other guys. Like, don't be so afraid. I kind of held on to that fear and I had this like natural anxiety. Uh, one of the stories I think I can think about the most, actually, is when it came time for high school. I maybe considered trying out for the, the freshman basketball team. And it was between me and I think this other Asian kid. And I remember there was this, this moment where the, the other players are going on in the scrimmage and they looked over at us and they openly talked about this. It was just like, had these two Asian guys, you know, they're looking at each other. Who do you think is better? Right? They're just like openly judging us based on our race, like right there. There wasn't about, I mean, I guess they, they factored in the skill part, right? But we were just isolated for being Asian. So that, that's, that's just my personal experience uh, starting out about it. Um, this might be a good time for us to get into a little segment we like to call uh, Bad Asian Moments. Joe, you'd like to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, so we were just talking about you know, the way we don't like being portrayed or the way that we don't like being judged by, the by you know, who we are and what we are and what we look like. But bad Asian moments for me is pretty much doing that exact same thing to other Asian people, right? Hurting the cause. And so for me, you know, one of my worst Asian moments is when, <laughs> whenever I'm at a restaurant with my friends and then they take a long time to calculate a tip. They'll pull out their phone, they'll swipe up if they have an iPhone and go to the calculator app and try to figure out what 20% of a tip is or what 20% of the bill is. And I'm like, oh my God, come on, guys, you're Asian. You can do this stuff in your head because <laughs> you know, there's supposed to be this expectation, you know, even ingrained in me that other Asian people should just be good, should just be good at math as well, you know? And so uh, that's just the way that I always see my bad Asian moments coming out. And then I wonder how other people outside might be looking at it, you know, hearing me tell my Asian friends, come on, be better than this, you know? And so that's just me that's my bad asian moment Vinny. what about you yeah for me I, it's, it's funny i think i kind of fall along the same definition you might have for a bad asian moment i might find myself probably doing what i would probably consider more traditionally 
white things or or outside of my own, own Asian <laughs> stereotypes, acting outside of them, whether or not I'm trying to do it on purpose or just something that I naturally enjoy, right? Uh, so something like um, I think the idea of of trying a little to be a, maybe a little bit more conscious about what I eat. So whether if I choose by choice to be like a vegetarian or a vegan, that that's always like an eye popping choice, especially among the, some of most of my Asian friends. Like you're doing that like on purpose, like. Like they think about all the food that I'd be, I'd, I'd be missing out on, and and like they're like, how is your mom? They're like, how is your mother taking this? You know. <laughs> so so I I would say, hey, you know, that's that's one of my bad Asian moments. You know, I, whether I choose to eat a lot of vegetables or if I am, uh, you know, making fun of like Joe mentioned, we're making fun of our, some of our like other friends of their lack of ability of, of using chopsticks. <laughs> oh man. Dude, do not get me started because I will rip you apart if you cannot use chopsticks and you're an Asian person. <laughs> I'm sorry, but oh my god, it's crazy. Oh, I know, I know. It, 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 it's even worse uh, when it went well for me. Uh, a lot of our food involves noodle soup, so you, you I, I, it's sometimes a waiter will come by and and you're, you're at your table with your white friends and they'll offer the forks to just your, just your white <laughs> friends. But then I'm like, I, I look at the waiter, I'm like, no. No, they're they're gonna do this. They're gonna use those chopsticks. This is the way it's meant to be eaten. So yeah, I get real sick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really funny. My white friends mention that to me all the time too. That like, like, hey man, why why do they only give you chopsticks? And I'm like, because I obviously look like I can use them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I digress. And so these are these are our bad Asian moments for this pod. Uh, I think we can get back into talking about sports though. Yes, most definitely. I think. One of the biggest questions for me growing up, I guess, was why aren't there more Asian Americans in sports? I mean, sure, we've seen Asians in sports because naturally you watch the Olympics. You know, a lot of the countries are Asian. So you see Asian athletes, right? But then we look at it from the perspective of us as Asian Americans, and we don't see people like us representing Asian Americans in sports, in the major sports leagues. So we're talking about the NFL, Major League Baseball, soccer, football or sorry i've already said football but the nba in particular you know we look at these major sports league and the nhl and we don't really see much representation of people that look like us so what do you think about that Vinny? yeah i mean i guess again readdressing the big question why aren't there more asians in sports um i think it's a pretty layered question in general but if i try to at least try to attack it at the root um just the idea of Way, the way we talk about representation, not really specifically just in the media, but really in all facets of entertainment, um, people do what they are either used to or, or can recognize, right? There's maybe a clear path to say, hey, you want to be a lawyer, you do this, this, and this. You want to be a doctor, same way. So the stereotypes that people at least put Asians into is a bubble of like, you're either an engineer, and you've heard this before, right, Joe, like doctor yeah. or a lawyer. We've all heard that same stick as second generation Americans, either through our parents or for the what other people just assume what we, what we do. And I think we probably brushed upon this before, but a little bit of my background is uh, I do work in IT and I did study engineering. <laughs> I work <laughs> in IT school. as well. Yeah. So, so I'm not, yeah. <laughs> but, but. I, I digress. You know, we, we could talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, it, really, it's the idea that our parents, they, they, they don't really know anything else, right? So when it comes to pushing their kids a certain way, uh, whether it be in their careers, it's, you know, we're, how far removed are they from actually just leaving their own home country 
leaving their family behind, taking the biggest risk of their entire lives, whether it was by choice or just from fleeing a war, like a war-torn country, to come over and give their kids a better life. Do you think you're going to go tell them to take the even bigger risk of, of trying to make it into the NBA or playing a professional sport or making money off a professional sport? Yep. So th- that's, I think, one of the, the crux of the problem is you're thinking about what people are actually used to understanding or at least when it comes to overcoming adversity or even bringing your family up, raising them, you want to make them sh- make sure that they're in some kind of surefire path that you understand. What about you, Joe? Right. Now, I mean, to go off your point a little bit, I think the interesting takeaway from that is going to be that going forward, generations of Asian Americans, I feel like will see more representation in sports because now there's guys like you and me. Yeah. And we've always wanted the opportunity to have our parents push us towards athletics, to push us, you know, into something other than academics or to pu- actually pursue our passions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think right now, yes, there was a clear path to becoming you know, for you and I, IT professionals, or for other people, medical fields, or, you know, law, that kind of stuff. And those fields are often, you know, most of the times your career is dictated by how hard you work. And Mm -hmm. so you have far more control over what you are able to become. But then, you know, you look at sports, you look at trying to break into entertainment, and there's a lot more luck involved. And I think that factors a lot into that risk that you're talking about in that you don't want to take that risk, especially when it involves the dice falling the right way. Mm -hmm. But then if you just work hard, if you get good grades, if you do extracurriculars, you go to the right college, you get the right grades there, then you will become what you need to become. And so I, I, I agree with you a lot right there. Um, But to go back to the original question, why aren't there more Asian Americans in sports? I like to look at it from maybe a little bit, you know, something that I think about a little bit more, uh, whether or not I, you know, fully believe in it. It's tough to say because I haven't actually seen any data to substantiate what I'm about to say. So what I like to think is I I hearken back to Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers where he talks about the birth date of NHL players and how that affect and why there was such a large amount of NHL professional players in in, in, uh, national hockey in, sorry, the National Hockey League, the NHL, professional hockey in the United States. And so there was a large amount of them who were born in the early months of the year, you know, January through March, that kind of stuff. And he wondered, you know, that's such an interesting, or he wrote about it in his book, that that's such an interesting thing. It's such a weird phenomenon, right? And then it's the reason was because that developmentally at a young age, being born earlier in the year, you're competing against kids who might have been born in December, right? So they might have 11 months of growth and development that these kids born in December didn't have, even though they're clustered into the same age group. And so with that 11-month head start advantage, they are bigger, they are stronger, they are faster. And so naturally, if you're a coach and you want to put a starting lineup out, you will put the bigger, stronger, faster kid into the lineup. And then they will be, they'll have more game time, more playing time, more training time, and they'll be pushed further along the development curve of that sport versus that kid who was born 11 months later in December. And so I kind of see it the same way, you know, and sometimes I just speculate whether or not Asian Americans, you know, Vinny and I, you being, you and I being second generation Asian Americans, meaning that our parents immigrated here from another country, you know, they didn't, they were, I'm looking at myself, my older brother and my older sister, and my sister's five foot eight, I'm six foot two, my brother's also six foot two. My parents are both five foot six, right? So we have the same genetics. We're getting these genetics from the same parents. However, they're much shorter than we are. And a lot of it has to come down to our environment, their nutrition, the way we grew up. And my parents grew up in post-Civil War Korea, 
where I'm sure they weren't eating as well, living as well, and having the right nutrients to push their body along that growth track that me and my siblings have experienced. And so when I look at it that way, I reckon I think that, you know, maybe first, second generation Asian Americans are those December babies. Mm-hmm. And that people who have generationally lived and traditionally lived in America, they're the January babies. And maybe, you know, fin- like family-wise along that track, they are just more developed physically and more physically mature and have had that opportunity to be physically mature um, just to, you know, have that chance to make it. And I think, you know, that's just a small part. Obviously, I think the biggest part is like what you were saying, Vinny, in that Asian parents just aren't telling their kids to play sports. And so, you know, it's just something to think about for me. I just like, you know, pushing that idea and throwing it around in my head. It's kind of fun to think about. It's a nice little thought experiment. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see really ultimately what if if there are is like if there's a study that can pretty much be done to substantiate an idea like that. Um, Because in the past, I mean, we can just if I'm just throwing out uh, different concepts along the same lines, if we we talk about why certain maybe people view certain races or ethnicities as like faster than others when we talk about running uh, in, in the different sports of of athletes like marathon training, for instance, um, and the way we talk about uh, the whole sport of really track and field, right? Um, what kind of advantages do you have just from the how you're born? So while, while I think it's an interesting idea, and I'm not saying I agree with it entirely, I think it brings up a good point. Um, and just rounding back to what we even talked about before, and what you mentioned even just with how coaches view uh, maybe players that are born earlier in the year, is the idea of like, hey, like again, they're, they're used to seeing this, this is what works, and so I talked about representation earlier and how if as you're growing up and just as a kid and you don't really have any role model, having a role model in your life, especially someone that's actually out there speaking to, in existence to your own ideas, it, it could just be such a big factor. And anyone could speak towards that. They have, they have that person in their life that they, they either drove them um, outside of their comfort zone, pushed themselves to do something a little bit different. And again, that's just so limited. Joe and I even did this as a, experiment before this call google asian americans in sports the list is just tiny it's tiny how long and asians have been in america for we could say centuries right or long a long period of time so there's opportunity you would talk about the idea that there would be opportunities available and then we get into the dicey area of like who can you claim or decide uh how asian you are to be right this guy's considered asian american um guys like tiger woods Heinz Ward. Uh, Heinz Ward. Um, but then you, you distinguish between the, the full Asians and the actual Asians, Americans themselves. That's why we talk about that list being even tinier because you don't include guys like Yao Ming. But then you get into the mm-hmm. subject of guys like, hey, Bruce Lee being the father of like mixed martial arts. But I mean, he's born in San Francisco, but spent the majority of his, his youth or even his young adult life um, back in China in Hong or Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because ultimately that's where he could find success. But and he comes back to America, and the way we maybe view him in the media is that you know he's not the traditional Asian guy. Let's say prior to a certain period of time, where people had this impression that um, yellow face was okay, and you had to have this yeah that hairy like heavy accent, be the Jackie mm-hmm. Chan types that don't speak entirely fluently. And if he if he could, you don't necessarily take him. Um, it, not to say you don't take him seriously, but you don't really appreciate him as much because to him he's a foreigner to you. He doesn't speak mm-hmm. your language. You know, I think that's what we kind of distinguish between the Asian Americans and the Asians. We're not trying to force this dichotomy, but we're just acknowledging that it exists. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think another interesting thing is um, the famous 
Nobel Prize winners in, uh, in economics, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, and they talked about uh, mental biases, right? And then right. so, and that was utilized, and their studies were utilized in the whole Moneyball phenomenon, you know, that changed baseball in that a lot of these scouts, you know, coaches, people have a view of what a player should look like, right? And I think that one of the issues that Vinny and I had growing up is that in the sports that we like to play in the NBA, you know, I like football a lot. Mm-hmm. We are not what the players look like. And it's not a fault of society. People have, they're not actively going out being like Asians are not football players and NBA players. It's just that up until this point in time, until 2012, you know, the normal sized Asian American was not viewed as an athlete because mm-hmm. we just weren't represented there. And so that's not to say that people who have these biases are, you know, terrible people. It's just to say that it exists and that when maybe that's the explanation of why Vinny and I walk up onto a pickup basketball court, people will look at us and they will think to themselves, not a basketball player. They're not consciously thinking it, but that's what their brain is associating, right? Because even though you have a Jeremy Lin who for a brief moment in time made a huge impact on the world of basketball, he is seen more as a one-off exception versus the rule. Because there are so there are so many years, decades of NBA history that have not had an Asian person representing, you know, what a good basketball player looks like. And so I think that's my final thought on just the way that we're viewed in sports is the fact that we don't have enough of us in sports. And hopefully and my my dream is that hopefully one day, you know, there are enough second generation Asian American parents who are you know, living vicariously and pushing their kids to go into sports just as hard as our parents pushed us to go be doctors, be lawyers, now IT professionals, yeah. you know, just throwing that in there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like, that's just my, my hope is that going forward, you know, we're able to be seen as more than just, you know, your nerdy tip, mental math calculating Asian guy. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I really couldn't agree more with you there, Joe. And what I'd like to write round back to it is people always ask me, I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I really knew how to deal with the confrontation when it happened. But like back at the time, t- we're talking 2012, Jeremy Lin comes on the scene. Everyone's maybe seeing how excited I'm getting and how fanatical I am. But their, their question is, oh, well, not even a question. This is a statement. They're like, you only like him because he's Asian. And I just to that point, I thought to myself, I'm like, I never had the fathom idea of like, why is this wrong? In your eyes, you're looking at me falling behind this one single Asian-American guy that we have never honestly quite have ever seen the likes of. Why am I so ride or die, pretty much? And I think this whole conversation, I like to think of as this is it, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to build upon that. We're going to talk about why we care so much, why it matters so much to us, but how it really kind of shaped our lives and maybe what we (laughs) set boundaries upon, what we were capable of doing and what we set to achieve. Joe right. talked about the careers that we could see ourselves in, but at the same time, it was just extracurriculars, right? How much time would you be spending practicing trumpet versus practicing your jump shots in the basketball court and being taken seriously? How often would your parents entertain the idea of taking allowing you to go to like summer camp and actually just playing with the other kids to work on your craft versus going to, I don't know, what, CTY? Is that what the name was called? Yeah, yeah. shout out CTY. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with those camps because ultimately they set you up for a lot of future success. You make networking connect. Same thing with a lot of camps. But... 
Yeah, I, I think about that question, I think a lot of days, and I think I, I never really got to a point where I can ever explain it to that same person without really getting heated about why or talking about, hey, this guy does this for this. Like, why are you questioning me? Right. Um, yeah. But another good, great story that we can, you know, just share very shortly before we wrap up here is the the kicker on the San Diego Chargers last year or Young Ho. Last year, Young Ho, right? And I remember, again, it felt like one of those, like, there's a buzz in the air. Like, this guy, if he can make it, especially since for our generation, prior to a guy like that win on, on the Cowboys, we're looking at this guy coming in, not quite Asian American. I know he was born in, in South Korea, but he played here in college. And, you know, he was going to be playing on the big stage. I yeah. think. So I remember seeing videos of him doing backflips. Starts out the season. I drafted him in my fantasy league. I, I, I'd I really had trusted him, not blindly, but I really wanted him to succeed. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I think he's you know, still finding his way in the league now. He ultimately was not able to have a lot of success with the Chargers. But just another example of something that we were probably getting really excited about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think just, again, pretty quickly, it's interesting because I wonder something to explore in the future is maybe the pressure that is on Asian American athletes, right? Yes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Young Ho Koo was, became, you know, the next hope for Asian Americans be like, yes, you know, we have Jeremy Lin and now people might start seeing Asian Americans as, you know, potential basketball players, right. but we haven't yet broken into quote unquote, the manliest sport in America, which is the football NFL. Uh, you have, it is the most brutal sport. It is, I think, the most lucrative sport in America. Uh, definitely the most watched. I think in t- terms of TV ratings, it definitely gets the highest amount of viewers, the highest ratings. And, you know, maybe finally we are be seen as NFL players as well, albeit in the least physical of the positions on the field, just being the kicker and all. Baby steps. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former kicker myself, so I have a lot of love for the man. But it's, yeah, I mean, this is a, yeah, baby steps. We're, we're hopefully trying to make inroads into the NFL, but sadly he missed a couple game winners and uh, wasn't able to pan out. And so, you know, you wonder if there was some sort of pressure there, maybe beyond the pressure of just trying to kick a game winner, but just the pressure of a whole mass of people behind him. Right. Outside of just being like a rookie playing the league we might be reading you know people would say you're reading into it too much that he was just young but when you would put it through that lens again for us to see a guy like jeremy lynn come out and i would say succeed in what we call insanity we can argue that whether or not you actually have on-court success beyond that being in the playoffs winning a championship not many players get to do that but for them to actually see him under that pressure and actually come through uh means the world it really does yeah and you know what i'm just gonna keep going for a little bit more but please, I was also thinking to myself, you know, whenever I play pickup basketball and I play well, I feel like I've not only done something good for myself, but I feel like I've also maybe boosted Asian Americans as well. You know, th- those guys who picked me last or those guys who thought, you know, like they'd, they'd dribble down the court, they'd look at me one-on-one and they'd yell to their teammates, like, hey, ISO, ISO. Hey, let's just, I, you know, I, I think I can take this guy. Mm-hmm. And if I'm able to equip myself well, and I'm able to stop him, make him pass the ball, or if I'm able to hit a game-winning shot, I think to myself, this wasn't just for me. And I hope this kind of represents to them more than just one good Asian basketball player, but rather a whole population of people who could be good at basketball. Right. And I think just that exposure, we, we talk about that 
uh, a lot. I mean, on, on a small scale, representation in forms of like you're talking about stars versus like this type of exposure. I, you, know, you ask questions like why? How do stereotypes persist at all? Because someone actually has the idea, or have never interacted with a person that actually has done this, so they have this impression of what life's like. So to be able to see someone succeed like yourself, like you, you always have the possibility that they're going to look at you, look at you as an exception. And we can probably talk about that endlessly in our lives mm-hmm. about just the way we act, the personalities that we hold, um, the ideals that we share, the, the way we kind of carry ourselves. People might look at us as like, oh, they're not like the others. Right. Yeah, stop me before I can go deep into that that (laughs) rabbit hole because I think there's just a lot that we can flesh out at that point. But ultimately, I think this is the start of something really beautiful, Joe. (laughs) Uh, We're we're just really at the the tip of the iceberg when it comes to conversations that we'd like to cover uh, through this podcast. Um, We call it our our love child, you know, Joe and I for (laughs) being friends for about 13 (laughs) years, coming back, reuniting. And uh, being able to talk about uh, something that we find ourselves very passionate about, I find this it's a great privilege, and I'm glad we Joe Joe really kind of uh, got us on board. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're just I think sports is the easiest topic to start off with. So many parallels to what I see in society to sports, you know, both racially and just in terms of life lessons itself. But that could be saved for another time. Um, I think at this point. You know, I just want to throw out a few individual shout-outs. Uh, one, to the Red Sox World Series champs. Uh, I'm a huge Boston sports fan. Uh, Vinny would like to contest, but yes, I was born in Rhode Island, and I can claim New England birthright. Uh, but yeah, 11 championships across Boston sports teams in the last 16 years. So I would just like to say, in terms of today's trash talk, uh, Philly sucks, the Yankees suck, and go New England. Okay, I would like to chime in with the fact that um, I consider myself a failure as a friend of Joe because in, during his uh, formative years in Philadelphia, I couldn't convince <laughs> him to become a Philadelphia sports fan. I didn't realize his deep-seated uh, love for all things New England was very much real. And as you could tell, the 2000s was a good time for uh, for Boston sports fans. Um, my trash talk for the week uh, entails one Kyrie Irving who decided to finally shave his afro and all of a sudden become magically good at basketball. Good for you, uh, Boston Celtics fans. It took a haircut <laughs> uh, for someone to actually finally re- re- regain their abilities, so to speak. Um, but, you know, Boston's still struggling a little bit. They're, they're going to you know, get it together. Uh, also, I think Gordon Hayward's hair sucks. That's a hot, that's a hot take. <laughs> everyone keeps talking about how, how nice it is. It's more like that mob speak where everyone assumes that one thing's really nice because one person keeps saying it and they they believe it. I don't think his hair is that nice at all. I, I think it's just it's, it looks weird. It's strange. You know, I prefer his college hair. The, the, <laughs> the mop is you better. Okay. I wanna I wanna also give a quick shout out to my man Ben Simmons, uh, triple double machine. I think last game he had like ten points, eleven rebounds. And 11 turnovers. Hey, Great you know, triple-double. Hey, he was two rebounds away from the quadruple-double, okay? He could have actually gotten that, too. It was close. Oh, mm, but don't worry, mm. man. Ben Simmons, I know, I know you're just mad. All right, he's going to come He's gonna come in eating up Aaron Baines and all those little <laughs> tiny tiny little wings you got over there in Boston. It's, it's the early season, man. I'll give I'm you this s- one for now, but I'm not going to relent. I'm sad that this is a podcast because I want to show that clip of, you know, Marcus Morris in the playoffs just showing 3-0, 3-0 to the Philly crowd with, in a series we eventually won 4-1. Four, 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 so, um, you know, very happy about that. So, uh, but yeah, I think this is a good time to wrap up the pod. I think we'll be coming back to you in a few weeks with another episode. 
Most definitely. And uh, I'd like to close out by saying my name is Vinny. He's Joe. Please stay with us. Thank you. And also follow the Two Asians pod on Instagram. There you go. Give Jobs a follow. Peace. 12 in the morning, pop shells, for a living in Berry, gon' smell blood trail every minute, rogue wave, and you niggas no fair when I 